0: I V M. This is Audio Gan, and I am your host Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. Today we have Nishan Chaudhary with us on Audio Gan one of the senior most uh, product management folks whom I've worked with and uh, is a good friend. Currently, Nishant is heading the product at Frit Tiger, previously at Book My Show. He's from I Am Lucknow. Yeah, he's also Vipashana Sadak, uh, doing a lot of proactive projects globally. Welcome, Nishant, uh, to AudioGAN. Thanks for joining in.
1: Hey, Kedar. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I've looked forward to being able to contribute to the good work that you're doing. So I'm really happy to have this conversation with you.
0: Awesome. Awesome. This is actually episode number 227. So before we begin, like just a small plug that do listen to episode number seven, which is called nuts and bolts of product with Subramanya Sharma. I guess uh, that's the only one where I did with a product guy. So yeah, let's let's see how this uh, unravels. And the topic which I've kept is called blurring lines between product design and product management. So because I've been looking at some patterns where designers are actively contributing to product, product managers are learning Figma. So we'll just try and explore that. Absolutely.
1: It's a fascinating topic. And just so folks know, I've been leading product and design teams for the past uh, four or five years. And so have had a chance to work very closely both with PMs, PMs of course, but also with designers and uh, at least built a point of view on how the two should interact.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, I have actually, like before we jump to the main questions, um, typically I did one series called Where Are The Designers? Or it was a fun angle where I did some rapid fire rounds. And I think it's a good... Plug or good segue to get to the main questions, just as a warm up round, uh, especially with friends. So, are you ready for like a rapid fire round? Fire away! Awesome. So these are really random, okay. And let's see. Uh, and some of them I'll double click in the conversation later. But yeah, sure. Uh, favorite Vipassana center. Ooh, both gaya. Okay. Your favorite designer in India, outside India, anybody? Besides you wow, wow. <laughs> uh no seriously favorite designer
1: <laughs> well actually uh, there is a young designer who's mm-hmm. got no frills that i have worked with his name is sankalp i oh. think uh, from a from a working as a product manager i have been delighted by how clean a slate he is a clean a canvas he is and he imbibes and hears everything and then converts what you're saying into fascinating designs. Awesome. I've been trying to poach him for many some time now. Yeah, but your favorite book? Oh, that is a difficult, it's very difficult to answer in one word, but uh, I mean in, in one one book. Uh, I can I break it down into two parts. Yes. F- uh, fiction, my favorite book is The Squirrel and Chipmunk by an author called David Sedaris. And um, I guess in nonfiction, the one I'm going to call it favorite because that's the book that I have read or reread the most amount of times. That's called uh, "Cultivating Inner Peace" by Dr. Paul Fleischman.
0: Okay, cool, cool. So what does design mean to you in two words? Two words: Awesomeness. <laughs> what does "product mean to you? In one word, maybe, yeah.: Responsibility. Cool. And this is your one of the classic ones. Like if you are an animal, which one would you be? Oh, I'd love to be an elephant. elephant. Okay. Favourite animal. Cool, cool. Your favourite quote uh, in any discipline?
1: Oh, that's that's a tough one. But, uh, I mean, I know what my favourite quote is. I just will not be able to quote it uh, or re-quote it. Uh, but uh, it's the one by Buddha that mind precedes everything. You You become what you think or you are what you think. It's somewhere around those lines, but that's the essence of it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Now coming to
0: the app world, any new app that you found out was cool? Any favorite app you have? Those are difficult questions, Kedar. Yes. Audio again
1: is like that. <laughs> I actively imagine a life where I don't have a smartphone with me. So okay. to, uh, I think, uh, so, okay, okay, two, then, then I'll two, skip to two. the next one. Yes, I don't want to commit to an app because they're all pains. I mean, no matter how well developed they are, uh, these days, Vicky has helped me gain a lot of pounds, but uh, no, man.
0: Okay, so then any app you hate the most, that's simpler? No, why go into love and hate? Let's just <laughs> get out of that whole system. All right, all right. Cool. The last one is uh, in the rapid fire round is your favorite line to a product manager. Like either you are... No, like, I, yeah, I mean,
1: are you thinking like an owner? Have an ownership attitude. That is it. Everything else is immaterial. Awesome. That's a
0: very brilliant segue to the main conversation. Thanks for the rapid fire round. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, so yeah, uh, Nishant, I wanted to generally ask a few questions around uh, like how do you see product design? How do you see product management? And uh, these days the lines are blurring. So bits about that. but. If you want to start by just telling, how do you define them? What is your definition of product design or what is your definition of product management? How do you see them?
1: Oh, and I've been thinking about it a lot because the lines are indeed blurring. And to me, the the closest simile that comes is sibling rivalry. Product designers and product managers are brothers and sisters of brothers and brothers in the same family. They want the same things. They get the same support yet they are different yet they fight amongst each other even though they are all aligned towards the same thing so it's you know that's that's the best analogy i can come up with is this is sibling rivalry to me a pm is you know if there is one quality of a pm that differentiates them from pretty much everyone else in the company is that a pm should have the least amount of skills they should not be able to do anything well all they should be able to do well is mirror others. That is like at the utopia, that's at the peak of a PM is somebody who has got no opinions, no skills, but who's a perfect mirror. And you know how difficult that is because it's to reflect what an engineer is telling you, what a customer is telling you, what a designer is telling you without actually adding anything to it or subtracting anything from it and to kind of make it easy to consume. That's the most phenomenal skill a PM can have. Because then the answers are obvious. Just like when you go stand in front of a mirror, if there's something on your face, the answer is staring at you in, your, in the mirror. That's what a PM should do. The People know the answers. Engineers know how to create architecture. Designers know way better than PMs how to wireframe or how to come up with solutions. PMs should get out of the way. And that is the most difficult thing to do. So that's, to me, what a great PM is. Okay, but
0: I mean, can you give any example that you have seen or read about where, PM sort of trying to influence, or maybe at this utopian level, you've seen somebody actually illustrating those qualities with any example so, or so in so let's state. Let's
1: talk about typically what happens, right? Whether you're in a large company or a small company, there is an initiative, there is project XYZ or problem XYZ that needs to be solved. And uh, out of enthusiasm, the PM will say, I'll write the spec, and here are the wireframes that I've created, here are the screens, here is the flow. I've spoken to customers. I know this is what we need. At the same time, designers would have also done their own research. They have their own design system. They know what they think is the right way to place UI elements, to create flows, to essentially solve the problem uh, and and to even question the problem. Is this the right problem worth being, being solved? And so now you have these two competing, relatively young designer and product manager who have solutions, who have partly solved the problem and probably are not going to be congruent. And uh, they're going to create a little bit of a problem for their manager because they're not necessarily aligned. It happens in different forms all the time. I mean, of course, assuming these are sincere product managers and designers and not just doing their job because pesa does that, does that resonate? Do you, do you see yeah, that?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously it's a classic case. It's almost everyday case. Yeah.
1: Because then the PM says the designer is not following the wireframe I created. And the designer says, who the hell asked the PM to create the wireframes? I'm not here just to put lipstick on a pig or, you know, just to put colors and make it pretty. There is a whole method to this. There is a whole research methodology. Here's what I have come up with. And it essentially what happens is this pressure of a deadline and one or the other will give in and kind of that, that resentment will continue because the lines were never defined well on who should own what.
0: Mm-hmm. But have you seen from your experience uh, that this um, reflecting on all the aspects and being a neutral person to own it? So then how do you own it, basically?
1: If you're reflecting, how are you owning? Well, reflecting doesn't mean that you stop taking actions. There's a big difference. Mm. Reflecting is enabling others to take the right actions instead of dictating the actions to them. So if you think of, you know, we both of us were at Book My Show, or if you think of any company, right, uh, If let's not Clear talk trip. about details. Clear. of, Well, yeah. let's not go into details of one company. But if there is a problem mm-hmm. that is being solved, it's, you know, it has to be a business strategy aligned problem it should be something that customers really need. But ownership comes in when a product manager tries to get others to solve it in whatever is the best way but does not give up when the designer says i d- couldn't get the right interviews or the engineer says this is an old tech stack and we can't solve it the way you've come up with or uh, when you're trying to deploy it business says that i couldn't get adoption because this is not you know there's no funds to run a campaign or whatever it is right there is always challenges in from the conceptualization all the way till adoption there are infinite number of things that go wrong. And ownership comes in when you don't take that as an answer. So you're not trying to solve it in a certain way, but you have to get to a solution. And you use creativity, you use all types of skills from pressurizing to creating deadlines to motivation to chai, sutta, whatever it takes get the job done because it is your baby you nobody else in the organization other than maybe the the ceo is really looking at the end-to-end and it's the pm's job to make sure it's end-to-end so there is ownership without trying to influence the actual solution in an ideal world many times your teams are not strong enough and you have to stretch in and come up with a solution or at least suggest a solution that's totally fine but uh, ownership and mirroring can very well go hand in hand So
0: can I, is it safe to say, or can I say this, that a PM can be a good designer? Because I've tried sometimes thinking about that. I understand a bit of product. Should I just start from scratch of being a product manager? And I see the crazy stuff that happens at their end, right? From analytics to business pressure to the CEO pressure. It's it's just crazy. So can a
1: designer become a product manager? yeah yeah anybody so that product managers have no skill they all they have is attributes if you have the right attributes no 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 i'm not kidding hmm. if you have an ownership approach if you have humility you know if you're willing to be high energy to be a mirror you know, these attributes, you can be, and I have worked with chartered accountants, with doctors, with architects who are PMs. They've got nothing, you know, technical, like digital product PMs who've got no understanding of what engineering is about, but they can really help engineering teams and design teams and business operations teams and marketing teams to create solutions Absolutely. You have these attributes. As long as you have these attributes, the other things, whether it's running an analytics report or, you know, whether it's working with data scientists or whoever it is, right, they can all be taught. Like those basic skills can be taught or somebody else can do it for you. But the core, the ownership attitude plus these common sense and humility, these things are critical for a PM. They are not so critical for a designer in fact uh, you know if a designer is opinionated or can be a little eccentric that's totally okay because what they are coming up with is you know creativity i've worked with very professional designers who have no airs about them but also you know there are also designers who are eccentric for lack of any other word and that's okay that as long as they are delivering on the disruptive New paradigms of interaction or visual design, whatever they're working on, that's totally fine. But if a PM is an eccentric guy or girl, that will create a lot of problems.
0: Mm -hmm. I would like to add this to the disclaimer also. I mean, yes, it's good, or yes, it's fine if it's eccentric, but it's not like a healthy spot to be in, at least at a leadership level or generally as an individual contributor, being a designer, because that has also fueled a different site sort of conversations in the design world where the maturity lacks and then it all becomes about design. Whereas you are just another cog in the entire system. Right. So, so that's, I just want to plug that yes, in. Yes, I, mean, there is,
1: I I don't want to perpetuate the stereotype of a designer diva, yeah. but, uh, but i was just trying i was trying to make a point yeah, on God. the differences and to your earlier question kedar i mean background me there is a thread going on who is the right product manager that i can you know give you as an example mm. and uh, there's actually a wonderful book that can help you understand or anyone who's listening understand about it uh, to me a product manager is is an instance of a coach in many ways and uh, the trillion dollar coach is a book mm. about this gentleman called bill campbell that's that you know bill campbell probably was the world's best product manager slash coach so you know i'd encourage folks to read it
0: yeah okay got it i think i have it you only gifted me i guess could be very likely (laughs) cool but overall, so I mean, the one of the reasons why I wanted to do this uh, episode on product management also, because it's relatively a new phenomenon. I mean, uh, we had Make My Trips and we had Book My Shows of the World, uh, but they were still not considered or perceived as product-product. Uh, like they started off call centers and then slowly they, they were still to a certain extent service-based and now... With like in the last 10-15 years uh, you'll see the product word being coming in. So there is a new breed of talent which is being developed to do that. So Nishant, uh, typically we also see like designers falling in love with like the solution uh, rather than the problem itself. Like in that context, what role would a PM play in? Because I've seen a lot of PMs also and a lot of designers also. And for that matter, it's a very natural instinct that if you crack something, you're so attached to it, you so love it, that you want to see this through. Uh, and I have personally faced that many times. So how would you respond to that? Any any instance or any
1: reflections on that? Absolutely. So just like ownership is a critical contribution of a product manager, protecting the problem is the next uh, contribution. So not falling in love with problems. I mean, product managers are the last frontier of protecting the right problem to be solved and staying as far away from the solution, Uh, whether it's coming from your CEO or founder or from the business priority or whoever it is that has dreamed up this fantastic solution that may or may not work. It's the product manager's job to keep everyone honest about the pros and cons of multiple solutions to stay honest to the actual problem that you're trying to solve, the impact of the problem on the customer's lives, the reason why you prick that problem over many other problems, and to kind of stay focused on truly solving the problem, not coming up with the most fanciest technology or design-driven solution, and then uh, kind of superimposing it on everyone.
0: Yeah, but how do you stay true to that? I mean, like, is it a practice thing? Is it an experience? Is it, are there like any tips and tricks to just stay like focused on the problem? I mean, you bring it up all always in every meeting, you just surface that
1: without being annoying. (laughs) Yes, you have to remind like, guys, why are we doing this? And you have to be a little bold. Uh, I've seen young product managers really piss off senior leaders by asking why? Like, why are we doing this? What's going to be the impact? Like, why did you prioritize this? And a lot of times, and I've, unfortunately I've seen folks get annoyed and uh, initial PMs, when they do this, they feel that they have caused a lot of disruption and they feel either guilty about it or they start to curb their line of questioning. And in, to, to a large extent, this also applies to designers because they are equally curious to understand why. But I can tell you that is the most valuable contribution because it keeps everyone honest. There are so many features that have failed because nobody asked that question. Why? Everyone said, oh, because or X, Y, Z is passionate or somebody else is the exact sponsor. So we just have to do this. Or in terms of SaaS companies, because this big customer has said it, so we have to do it. Nobody spent the time trying to think through what really is the reason why you're doing this. And sometimes it's okay to do something just because somebody who has a bigger title than yours has demanded it. A lot of times, those who have a bigger title than yours or who are the founder have the right insight and have the right reasons, but it should be articulated. If it's not articulated, if it's swept under the carpet, then it can cause a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. I think one of the attributes then is also articulating the
0: problem statement correctly and permeating it through the organization, because then you are bringing everyone on the same page that, hey, this is the thing which we are solving. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Interesting. And we see a lot of designers also, especially like me. Actually, no, wait, I'll, I'll, before I jump, uh, I have this classic question, which I ask all the PMs uh, when I'm interviewing them, that how do you say no? And as like, we are inspired by Jonathan Ives of the world, where they discuss sacrificial no and a lot more jargons there, but it's an important quality to say no, because then you're just over committing or you are just, bloating with features or you are then you're just having a lot of pressure where you don't get time to think also and go deep into the problem. Now for a company who wants to go wide, yeah, you can say yes to multiple things, but those who want to go deep, you have to say like very bold no's. So any, any again, tricks yes, to so say no?
1: This, this is, now you're asking, now you're in the right, that's a great question to ask. Yeah. And uh, the, the way to say no is to say and. So in my mind, when I have to tell somebody no, I have to say, okay, so we have to build this and it has to do what you're saying and it has to do, be built with three engineers and it has to be done in two weeks. So let's see how that's possible. You have to basically surface the ridiculousness of certain asks without saying no, but by adding all the Dimensions, constraints that are yeah. there That you're facing so that you're not making the call of saying, when you're saying no, you've made the decision on what is more important and what is less important to yourself. When you're saying and and you're listing everything that's going on, you're getting everybody else to look at the ridiculousness or the impossibility of the situation and you're helping everyone understand all the constraints so that collectively you can come to what makes sense. And sometimes you decide to go with the ridiculous, but it's now a very conscious deliberate choice because you've made the consequences very clear to everyone so don't say no say and and if you can remember it it works wonders in any meeting you can politely say oh so we have to build this and by tomorrow also do this and also have this so the ridiculousness becomes very apparent
0: wow that's like a million dollar
1: answer for me Awesome. I'll try and see how can I, how I can incorporate it. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm definitely oversimplifying it. But you see the point, right? You can, you can deliver it in many ways. But when your team is already stretched, when the engineering team wants to work on the technical debt, but somebody else wants a feature for a customer, and there are only one pod available to do both. So you say, okay, we'll do this, and we'll not work weekends, and we will not sleep and we will still deliver high quality, and it'll still be on time, it's not going to happen. So you help prioritize. I mean, PMs have to help prioritize. But by just saying no, uh, you build your ego, you create enemies, and you create a lot of bad blood by helping those. Because people who are asking for features are coming with very valid reason, or who are asking for solutions, you just have to get them to the same page. Got it, got it.
0: Cool. So, priority ke upar, I'll have the last question, but just before that, uh, we uh, we see a lot of designers. At least I have seen, and in fact, they are like me also, uh, who have over years like gained some experience and and uh, talk the same language as the product does, right? In fact, I have been telling my designers to talk the language of engineers because that's where the uh, if if they understand what is position absolute and position relative, and what is a bottom sheet or what is a native model window, I think the conversation becomes smoother, right? So yeah. again, any is there a product language uh, which designers can probably imbibe and talk to product folks
1: and vice versa to just be on the same page? I I can't think of anything. See, uh the ideal product language would be whatever language you speak, right? So a PM should be able to connect with designers when they're talking about redlining or bottom sheet or whatever it is. Uh, and with engineers, when they're talking about performance constraints or threads or whatever it is, right? I mean, Because you're trying to, you're uh, as close to being neutral as possible. So, no,
0: so what I meant was uh, w- uh, sharing the same vocabulary in a sense. A designer may be to eng- and, and that's why the lines of blurring is what I'm struggling with so yeah. a designer might have like a more advanced thought process of what is closer to the thumb what is accessible bunch of stuff in the design world color theory and so on and so forth whereas the PMs is working with matrix and what is the use cases so these these are keywords right which if I interpret correctly I'll be able to solve if those are sort of not in the dictionary itself or in the mental model itself, then you are now these days OKR as a word is coming in. So that's what I'm talking about. Is there anything like that which which helps to bridge the gap between a designer and a product person? I think
1: any functional role, whether it's a designer or an engineer or a marketer or an operations guy or whoever, as long as they're doing their job well using their language and their constraints and really being true to whatever is their functional role, uh, that's great. Now, if there is somebody who wants to switch over from a functional role, from a designer to a PM, they should learn to let go of their jargon as opposed to learn a new jargon. So there isn't really a PM vocabulary as much as there is functional vocabulary. And if you're moving, if you're blurring the line between a designer to a PM, reduce the amount of design-specific terms or language, and that will help bridge the gap, and that will help you transition if you want to. But why would a designer ever want to be a PM? makes no sense. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to be a designer in my next life. I wish I had those skills in this life. But uh,
0: mm. cool. I think uh, the last uh, question which I have is um, any best practices, any frameworks that you follow to bring in? Because say like jobs to be done kind of a framework or this RISE framework. All these just puts things very objectively. So if you have to build a very, I don't know whether it's a word also, like a product centric company culture? Do you have any any experience about using these frameworks much more efficiently? Or at which stage of the company these would be helpful and any any frameworks that you would recommend?
1: That's a tough question. It's got too many things going on in it. Let me break it down. Sure. Uh, you're talking about building a company culture hmm. that's product centric. But culture as such also keeps on evolving, right? So when you are a startup, and there are six or seven of you in a room, that culture needs nothing; it's already there. It's you know, it's who, however you work. But when you become 50 or 100, then yes, you have to start investing in it. And when you are even bigger, you're you know, thousand or multiple countries, it's taken a life of its own. To be able to influence that by just a framework is something that I haven't done, or I don't know how it can be done. But I think if somebody was to ask me this question in terms of, I have to build this in my company, my advice would be culture starts with each individual. It's it's everyone's responsibility. And most companies have a certain ethos, a certain set of values that they want to stay true to. And uh, as long as every individual is really trying to do that in whatever role that is. So if it's a company that is customer-centric and that's the culture that everyone wants to build, then in every function, if every individual truly tries to understand what the customer's pain they're trying to solve, you know, don't think about I will influence X, Y, Z and build a culture because I'm doing my job, they are not doing, I have to influence them. As long as you can limit it to I really want to understand and really solve the customer's problem or really truly understand what the customer needs. And if I can model it just within whatever I do, whether I'm a designer or a copywriter or whatever functional role I'm doing, I think that more than any framework will build that culture. Now, it's up to the leaders of the company to make sure that they define only two or three things. I mean, you can't be everything. Most uh, company values are a long list and people can't remember most of them. So it kind of fails, right? It defeats the purpose. But if you have a few things and one of them is being customer centric, then every single person in whatever they do have to truly embody that. And once you do that, then the culture will evolve. If you say I'll later see a framework and let's do this or this workshop or this you know five color something or whatever else you know some MBA has come up with it's not really going to work. I mean genuinely if you want to build it. If you want to have people giving lip service to something, yes, for some time it'll have a value, it'll fade away and then the next guy will come with the next framework. But if you genuinely want to build a customer centric culture, it has to be everyone's responsibility. You can't leave it on a framework. But for priority? you need something, right? Some... Priority, absolutely. Priority, you know, know, the rice kind of frameworks work really well on priority, but uh, that has to be driven by business, you know. Uh, There's always this debate between are you a product-led company or are you a business-led company? And there are those who say, oh, product comes first and because we have made such a kick-ass product, business and revenue and other things will follow. And you know, like a Google is a great example of that, right? Uh, you you build a search engine with no monetization initially, and then eventually you figure out how to do it, or maybe you already had it. But in my opinion, business strategy precedes product strategy. Business strategy should be supported by a product. Uh, it can even be uh, almost driven by a product. What can you build, or which problems you can solve? But uh, Prioritization is business first. That's the only sustainable way, Hmm. in my opinion.
0: Quite interesting. Yeah, there are like some gems here.
1: Tell me, Kedar, I Ah. have a question for you. Yes, please. As a design leader, what type of product managers have you enjoyed working with and what attributes of them do you really kind of uh, benefit from? I mean, the the product managers
0: whom I've worked with is, um, I think they show two to three attributes or skills or whatever we call it. But one is generally shielding or guarding what we are building at the moment, right? For example, there could be 10 business priorities and uh, the product manager is probably able to distill them into two to three which really matter to the user or maybe all of them matter, but then they are coming in a in a priority, right? So those PMs who have guarded that is one, um a trait which i've enjoyed working with and second i would say is um, who have articulated the problem very nicely who are who are working along with the designers actually what you said is is what i've have happened to work with few of the pms who have done that well uh, so that's why we're not going for that one solution or two solutions in fact i've been recently saying a lot about this like let's come up with like 10 solutions for the same problem and then figure out which has a better high impact and low effort kind of a model. So those are the two things which uh, I think I gather right now.
1: Well, that you know that that uh, definitely helps me. I'll make sure I'll ask my teams to do that. Awesome.
0: Cool. I think uh, Nishan, do you want to add anything to like or any tip, advice, suggestions to upcoming budding PMs
1: if they are listening? Uh, not you know. Maybe a warning that you don't know what you're getting into a long career as a PM or a PM leader is a difficult one because you get blamed for a lot of things that you have no control over. So it sounds glamorous initially that uh, you are the CEO of a product or all sorts of things that people make up. The, The reality is you get to do a lot of work that you have little control over and you get blamed for a lot of things that you can't really solve. It's rewarding for a certain type of people who are okay with a lot of ambiguity, who are okay with a lot of confusion, and who still like helping others, because at the end of the day, that's what a PM is doing. When I said a PM doesn't have a core skill set, that is because they're not really adding direct value in a functional way. They're adding value indirectly. So if you're willing to help, if you have that, that attribute, and if you're willing to lead people who don't know what they're doing in the larger scheme of things, uh, then this is a good role for you.
0: Right. Thank you. On that note, uh, we'll end this. Uh, thanks, thanks, Nishan, for giving your time. It was wonderful talking to you. Thanks for having me here, Kedar. Awesome. That's it. And that's it from today's Gan session. For show notes and more Gan, visit audiogan.com. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to check our other interesting podcast on IVM Network. You can listen to us on IVM Podcast at ivmpodcast.com. Or any of your favorite podcasting apps. To stay tuned, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at IVM Podcast. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at AudioGan Moments on Instagram. Until then, take care.
2: Hello! It's been a great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On this round is on me, Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda, they talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish Thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuniwan, 1, Sheila is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Nutty Gritties. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcasts.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them, and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on youtube.com slash Podcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week. Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Program, and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thanks, guys. Without you, this would not be possible. (laughs) Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IVM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.